Hello, everybody, and welcome to Words of Whiskey, episode 27, as always. 27? 27, yeah. Almost, we're almost 30, Tom. Oh, why did you have to say that? <laughs> oh, no. That's disgusting. Oh, we put, well, we, we've got a few more years to go, fortunately. Yeah. As long as a podcast gets there before me, I'm quite happy. <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd have to go on a very long hiatus for that to happen, though. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to episode 27. As always, I am your host, Henry, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tom. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Henry? I'm good. I am looking forward to today's lineup because I haven't picked what we've got. Mm. You've got, you have chosen, or you have picked up a couple of bottles for us to sample. Yes, they're very different bottles, actually. So, would you like to pick which one we're going to have first, and would you like to do the honours of introducing? So, I've been dying to drink this for a while now, ever since I found it. I'm going to introduce a Cask Treasure whiskey from the whiskey shop, which is from, I found this really interesting, a secret Campbelltown whiskey mm-hmm. distillery. Um... But I'm fairly certain... Blend, isn't it? It's, I'm fairly certain it's a blend. Yes, it says on the label. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, let me finish. Fairly certain it's a blend of Springbank and something else. Glen Scotia, maybe? Possibly. I'm fairly certain it's a blend of those, according to the guy who sold to me. Well, and I mean, it's I... finished in a sherry cask, mm. which I know is a big favourite of yours. So I'm very very eager to see what this is like. Well, I mean, there are only three distilleries left in Campbelltown. So there's Glen Scotia, I think it's Glengyle and Springbank. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be any of those three. Well, indeed. So we find or, out. all three, potentially. So we find out? Yes. I'm looking forward to this, because you got this a little while ago, but we said we'd Wait. We'd wait to try this on the episode. I shall give you my glass. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Probably one of the more expensive bottles we've done in a while on here. I don't know. I'm not going to say on the podcast. No, I can say it, can't I? About £60. £60. £60 sterling. Quite expensive for a blend. I mean... Quite expensive for a 50 centilitre bottle. Yeah, 50 centilitres? Yep. Yeah, 50 cm. 46 ABV. Product of Scotland. It's strong and I can smell it. Secret Campbelltown, six, six years old, sherry, fill, Caskville 2014 and bottled in 2021. Yep, I'm definitely getting some of that sherry. When I first dove in with my nose, I was getting um, a really strong scent, isn't it? Yeah, first I was getting slightly hint. I know the Campbelltown whiskies, they have this. Oh, yeah, I, I'm getting it now. They that get, little slightly briny kind of smell. Yes, they, they have that sort of. Mar- salt, mar- sea salt. maritime yes but I'm kind of getting that intermixed with the fruitiness which I guess is the sherry cask I'm diving in I'm diving right in no. cheers Tom mm. <laughs> <laughs> cheers he <laughs> yeah, says halfway through a gulp oh yes that's nice that is very nice you get that and this all semi sweetness to begin with and then it's like it kind of gets more briny and Campbelltowny as you swallow then it kind of like Plateaus, if that makes sense, mm. in the like the aftertaste. You can still get that fruitiness. Yeah, it's interesting. You get that fruitiness at the start. And oh, I love it when they have different kind of blended flavour like this. When they have layers to them. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Thank you, Henry. Mm. That is nice. You should write my script next time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> mm. That is. I'll pick up the script and be like, "I am Tom. I'm an idiot." <laughs> 
Good choice. This is a good choice, isn't it? I'd say it's more Campbelltowny than Sherry Cask than this. Although saying Campbelltowny, we don't apart from we've had some Glen Scotias, but that's kind of really our main experience of. Okay, um, maybe maybe I'm just saying that because it's not as sherry casky as I thought. Particularly compared to something like the Glen Farkas we yeah, had a exactly. few episodes ago. Yeah, it's nice. And I was going to say we'd be lucky to try get any Springbank at the moment. That's the thing. As I kind of learned more about the whiskey world, just Springbank is almost seems like a legend at this point because. <laughs> well, this is the closest I'm going to get to it. Yeah, because I think they release um, stuff in such limited quality quantities. I think they're, they're, they're only produce a small batch. I think they do a lot of the stuff by hand. During, oh, the lockdown, during the lockdowns, it made it even harder for them to produce anything. And then Campbelltown now has this reputation, or Springbank has this reputation, that as soon as it's on the shelves in any whiskey shops, it apparently just gets snapped up. So when I've gone to play, I've even been at bars, seen it on the menu. Uh, they've got none left. They've got none left. Yeah. I've got nothing left. <laughs> I've got no spring back left. I think that's part of the reason I, I, for the Campbelltown region, I gravitate towards Glen Scotia. So you can get it. It's because I can actually get availability. it. I just freaking love Glen Scotia at the moment. I think at the moment it's one of my favourite distilleries just because they're like their standard. What was that one we tried together? That was the Campbelltown Harbour one. Oh, yeah. The one you can get in, I think, Waitrose and stuff. I thought it was really nice. Quite oh, a unique yeah. taste. I, I picked up a bottle of it recently because it was on offer. It was 25 quid. And I was like, Ooh. I don't need any more whiskey. But for that price, that's the two. Before after, you've got the Tullamore more deal on offer as well. Oh, that was... Uh, this was well before that. Was oh, like okay. Maybe a month or so ago. Whereas the Tullamore Jew was You haven't finished that bottle, though, have you? No. I have a bottle. What, the Tullamore? You haven't oh. finished the Tullamore. You finished the Campbelltown. I finished the Campbelltown. Oh, okay. Fair point. Granted, I gave a reasonable amount of it away to uh, friends as well but um, yeah for £25 it was because I hadn't had it since we'd done that episode on it I remember really enjoying it was interesting going back to it because it's um, PX cast a sherry cast again oh but this when we tried it in the episode I got that sort of like this glass we have here I got more of that sort of briny almost maritime element from it going back this time I got more of the sherry element oh, okay so it was interesting <clears throat> to revisit it that's interesting yeah does it vary much when they make the same whiskey again can it vary I mean you will have batch variation yes but the what they try and do is what they will try and make it as close to stuff as the original as the but it can. is possible for the smell to have been yeah. different between batches so that's the thing some some whiskies will have batch numbers on them they will be like this is such and such whiskey batch one batch two and people will get the different bottles and they'll try them and compare them they will find variations but i think for the average whiskey drinker as long as it's not they haven't made a complete departure from what they were doing it will taste much the same but it was interesting to go as it had been so long I still got that sort of I did get that sort of briny maritime element but I got much more of the sort of fruitiness from the Piaz cask this time round but yeah that, uh, they had finished that bottle a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> granted I did share it out but yes yeah I, I, I'm on a real big Glen Scotia kick at the moment so I got their um, so I got a bottle of their Victoriana at home Yes, you were saying their, earlier before we started recording how much you were enjoying this yeah one. it's their cask one of their cask strength ones um and it's oh, it's just glorious. It's amazing. <laughs> Victoriana. Yeah. Glorious. But it's um, 
literally a couple of weeks ago it won a gold award at the oh. I think it was the San Francisco Spirits competition um, and last year Glen Scotia won some more gold awards they won best distillery in the world so yeah Glen Scotia in the world yeah that's an achievement by the Scotch Whiskey Association I believe it was oh I see okay um, so, so you know that meme of Barack Obama putting the medal on himself it's a bit like that really isn't it if, it's, yeah. if a Scotch uh, board uh, administrative board gives a Scotch company uh, the, the best distiller in the world it, it is literally that meme of putting the medal on yourself like we make the best I mean to be fair in your opinion do the Scots make the best whiskey I think I am or is it subjective subjective entirely subjective because you you'll meet Americans who they drink bourbon and they absolutely love bourbon you'll meet other people who think the Irish whiskey is the best Scots whiskey is the best you've got you've got Indian Taiwanese you've got English Welsh people it's entirely down to personal choice at the moment I find myself gravitating towards Scotch because it's in trying so many different scotches I'm finding such variation and I'm really loving that journey of trying different distilleries trying what they have to offer mm-hmm. not to say I'm not having bourbons or Irish and stuff at the same time and I'm enjoying all of those I think particularly with, particularly with the bourbons and American whiskies, I find I'm really enjoying a lot of them but I s- tend to get this similar amount of flavours through them I get that because I get a lot of um vanilla oak sort of sweetness from like the corn and um stuff a bit of spice from rice and everything like that mm-hmm. but it's only with trying a lot of bourbons and rice next to each other that i can really pick out the nuances of the flavors right whereas with scotches i can jump from distillery to distillery and i can get a wide journey i can get almost like a journey of flavors even mm. from a single distillery so you're saying scotch is more variety yes i think and that's what i'm enjoying at the moment I'm, I enjoy getting a variety of flavours. Yeah, back to Glen Scotia. Um, yes, they've won quite a few awards. And they're literally, it was two weeks ago, their Victoriana won, won another gold award. So it's won two gold awards now. I think it's won more than that. Oh, yeah, shit. But recently won another um, gold award. I think, again, at the San Francisco Spirits Competition, I think. Yeah, you said that just now. But makes me hesitant because I'm, I think their stuff is going to go up in price. Because we're seeing it a lot. I think Lagavulin, their 16-year-old, has jumped up from about 70 to 80 quid. Ah. There's other whiskies that are going up in price. And I think, yeah, I have a feeling the Grand Scotia stuff, what with this sort of um, prestige it's kind of got in the past few years, and I think people are recognising it as good whiskey. Not that it wasn't before. I'm, yeah. You think it's going to go? You think it's going to be the next Brimbank? Potentially, maybe I don't know. Well, maybe if the Glen Scotia goes up in price, then maybe the Springbank will lose its legendary reputation and go down a bit in price. You can finally try it. But that's the thing. The reason Glen no Springbank is actually reasonably priced for what it is. The problem is it's producing such limited quality uh, quantity quantity <laughs> that you will have people buying it and then selling it on the secondary market. And inflating the prices that way. Like a bottle of ten, a bottle of ten-year-old Springbank, is very reasonably priced at about forty to fifty pounds. That's not too bad. Which is not too bad. But then you will have people buying that and then sell it, trying to flip, flip it, sell it for up to two hundred pounds, if not more, because of that such limited quality people, quantity. Keep tripping up on that word. People are <laughs> desperate to try quantity it. over quality, <laughs> or quality over quantity. 
I've quality, quality over quantity. Quality over quantity is Springbank's motto. But Springbank is quant- is quality. But Springbank's problem is quantity. Am I making sense? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they have a reputation of producing quality liquid, but in limited quantities. So, yeah, I'm I'm tempted to get another bottle of the Victoriana because I, I can see it jumping. I think it's about 70 to 75 pounds at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's not the cheapest whiskey. No. Um, it's cast strength as well, so that bumps the price up a bit. Um, but I'm tempted to get another bottle. Also, they're ch- Glen Scotia are doing a complete sort of rebrand and they're changing the design of their bottles. And I actually prefer the old style. <laughs> particularly so you would have snapped that one up. Particularly for the Victoriana. So whilst I can still find the old style around, I'm going to I'm gonna try and grab one, maybe. Probably once I get paid at the end of the month first. Yeah, I'll have to wait for payday. Yeah, wait for payday. But uh, yeah, that was a little spring bank. Tangent. And Glen Scotia tangent. But, That's a dry ball. Yeah. Well, I'm enjoying this whiskey. It's really good, isn't Every it? Every time I go back to it, I get different. Like then, I went, I sort of double dipped with my nose. I went, ooh, fruit. And then went back and I was like, ooh, maritime. <laughs> Brininess. Yeah. No, this is. Oh, yeah, I'm getting there too. It's an unusual mixture. Hmm. But very nice. It's quite tasty indeed. Anyway, Tom, ready for a bit of whiskey trivia? Oh, no. <laughs> So, you were probably a bit of a self-confessed smokehead, a bit of a peat yes. head. You like your peat. I, like, I do like a nice whiskey. smoky whiskey. It's nice. not a fl- that sort of flavour you get from peaty whiskies. You can't really find that very easily that I can think of elsewhere in alcoholic beverages or even food. The closest that has come to this is when I had quite recently a smoky cocktail. So where they make you a cocktail and they put it in like this little mini smoke chamber. And they bring it and the smoke chamber looks like one of those old fastened lanterns. And they literally bring it out to you like, 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 like they're holding it with like that ring at the top, like an old fastened lantern. And they hold it out and you open it, all the smoke comes out at you and you take out your cocktail and you can taste the smoke. And it's like a normal cocktail, like a, like a margarita or something. But I, I, I had an old fastened to make it whiskey, obviously. And I, and you can really taste the smoke in it. It was delicious. That's maybe, the closest they, you can maybe get. Maybe they use smoky whiskey. Maybe they use peated whiskey. Maybe, but I imagine the cloud of smoke that yeah, en- exited this probably, lantern yeah, probably helped enhance it. Yeah, it's possible. But then I, I had the margarita as well, and obviously there's no whiskey in that, and that was also smoky. So yeah, probably the smoke enhances that element to it. But yeah, I really, I really like that taste because of its. But when I first had it, it's like, I've never had anything like this before. This is amazing. So yeah, 100%. I am a peat head, as you called it. Yes. Well, talking of peat, do you want to take a guess as to how much or how much peat regrows every year? So when they dig it up for using to burn to make peated whiskey. Yeah. Of course, uh, peat is um, decomposed matter and soil and everything. Yeah. But take a guess at how much if you leave it to regrow how much it regrows by each year I don't really know how much they take they dig up in general so like can I say like half of it all of it that sort of thing uh, like millimetres or centimetres yeah I, I don't know that I don't know how much millimetres or centimetres are taken off so I don't know how much it's going to grow back well they, they take out quite big chunks because they've got they've oh, got to burn it yeah and stuff. so they take I think a lot of places a metre I'm guessing a metre was that massively over, over oh, way more <laughs> massively over <laughs> Okay, okay, uh, 25 centimetres. 25 centimetres. Bear in mind that this is 
Pete is something that has accumulated over millennia. It's de- decomposed matter and soil and everything. It's got s- stuff from centuries ago. Oh, I'm guessing doesn't at all, though. One millimetre per year. Oh. Literally tiny, tiny amount. So eventually they will run out of Pete. That's one of the, that is one of the things, is that... No one, am I guessing this right? No one actually wants peat, except for making whiskey. No, can it be used in other things. Yeah, it's used in like the medieval times. It used to be used in fires. It was used in fires as a fuel source. Oh, okay, okay. So peat does have uses, but it's also like it's peat bogs and everything. They are natural habitats, so we want to preserve oh, these right. areas. So, so me I can't enjoy peaty whiskies anymore. No, you still can. There are there are um, safe places to harvest peat. Yeah, there. I think certain distilleries they will mark out sections where they will dig up peat. Um, they have methods of better preserving it as well. Like they'll take off the top layer, they'll dig up some peat, put that back the grassy layer, and that helps preserve it. Um, and then they will pick out sections where they will dig the peat. They will then go somewhere else the next year and then leave that section to allow it to naturally regenerate. Okay, okay. But it is... I only found this out recently um, when I was at a whiskey tasting where the guy was talking about pea because we were trying some peated whiskies and and he was like, oh, guess how much pea regenerates every year? And people are like, oh, like 10 centimetres, 5 centimetres. A metre! not quite that high and it's like no it's only one millimeter and everyone was quite shocked yeah so yes i thought that was a little fun natural trying to make me depressed about pete i think i think i am very much a i do gravitate towards non-peated whiskies but i am finding some peated whiskies that i am really enjoying like the freud don't know Mm. I, i got to try the uh, Beaumont 18 recently and the 15 both uh, 15 I would definitely pick up again 18 was really nice but then I looked at the price I was like ooh 100, 100 quid <laughs> can't quite go dropping that guy so easily unfortunately mm. Lafroig I've tried I got to, you gave me a few samples um, I got to try some more elsewhere as well and I find it, it the smokiness for Lafroig for me is quite medicinal in a way Medicinal, yeah, sort of like a medicinal smokiness. Um, it's quite mellow. It's not quite a smack in the face with um, smokiness like Smokehead, for example. Mm, I'd say it's it's smokier than other ones I've tried. It's not something like an Ardbeg, but I, I found it quite easy to drink. Yeah, it's it's. I'd still happily if someone had me a glass of Lafroig, I would still drink. I think I find you drink any whiskey someone handed you. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I think what I found with the ones I tried, I tried the, I think it was the Law, the Quarter Cask, the 10-year-old cask strength, and the... I'm going to have a bit more. I'm to top you up, Henry. Uh, I'm okay at the moment. The P... Uh, is the, sorry, the Sherry Finish. Mm-hmm. And the, although I enjoyed the Quarter Cask and the Select, I found them a bit more smoky, and I got more of that medicinal smoky element. Whereas mm-hmm. with the cask strength one... I found that the higher ABV reduced the smoke and I kind of enjoyed it more. Mm-hmm. And of course, the sherry one I liked as well because you had that fruity, like this, you had that sort of fruity, but you also had a slightly smoky element to it as well. I, I like that balance. Whereas other smoky whiskies, I had like a, I've had Khalid at 12. And I actually really, that's probably one of my favourite peated whiskies because you get that smoky element. 
but you get this, this briny element. So is, it, is, it, is that more like a layered it's smokiness? When it's, and smoky is part, smokiness is part of the, one of the layers? Yes. It's like you said. That's quite like, interesting, actually. So you get smooth. Oh, smoky. Smooth again. Like that. Not quite. Or is it smoky, smooth, smoky? More or is it just a little bit smoky, more smoky, a little bit smoky? No, it's more sort of smoky, and then you get this briny element to it as well for the cleaner. Mm. Um, and I quite enjoyed that, because it, it, I think if I tried something like an Arbeg, I was just like, oh, it's smoke or it's peat. And it's just like... I haven't had Arbeg in ages. No, I've got a, I've got a, a miniature... Is that the one I'm thinking of that comes in that awesome golden box? No. No, what am I thinking of then? Yeah, I think you're thinking of Haberfeldy. I think I am, yeah. yeah but I have had Arbeg before. Quite possibly. I believe I have. I won't have felt the again, though. Yeah, uh, I, I am. Appre- I think I'm <clears throat> appreciating smoky whiskies more than I used be- before. Early on in my whiskey journey, I would n- not have really touched the smoky stuff because I, like, mm-hmm. I don't like it. Now I'm trying more of them. I, I find it's more a, a bit of an acquired taste. Like yeah. I know people who will swear off scotch because they hate that taste. Yeah. I, I, I'm finding ones that I like, but usually I will still gravita- gravitate towards non-smoky ones because that's where I can pick out I find with a lot, a lot of the time I do get the smoke and then I have a trouble picking out other flavours whereas often unpeated whiskies, that's where I can find a more, more of a variety of flavour and that's why I enjoy with whiskey. I enjoy picking out different flavours and then just saying oh yeah I can pick out these flavours and I just enjoy that that's fair that's fair yeah oh yeah we talking about whiskey for quite a while now anyway shifting the conversation towards books yep <clears throat> keep it on a conversation conversational instead of just launching into what you've been reading mm-hmm. here was a question I was pondering the other day oh okay okay what would you say is the book or books that you have gifted the most if by gifted they do you mean keep let, let someone keep or just let them borrow because, as you know, I'm a bit of a book hoarder. And I think I can count on one hand the amount of books I have let someone keep. I mean, say if you were to buy someone a present and it was a book. Oh, I see what you mean. The thing is, I don't know many people. But I don't think I've read anyone who reads as much as me. And I don't really know very many people who enjoy reading that much. The ones I do, I don't, I don't buy them. I wouldn't buy them presents. Except for a few. So, I don't I think... I don't think I've, I don't know of many books I've given out to more than one person as a gift. Okay, so take that and also take books that you've lent people. What would be... Okay, for the books I've lent people the most... What would be the ones that you... Say, the two or three that you would give out the most? Best Served Cold by Joe Abercrombie. Mm-hmm. You have read that, yes? Yes, you lent that to me. Yeah, Good example. It was one of my top books. Yeah, well, that, that is, it's an amazing book. In fact, it, it, it's one of my top books as well. I really enjoyed that book. Definitely let that out to people. For, for, for a book of its size, it's quite a quick read, isn't it? Hmm. I'd definitely say that you you know you don't have to stop and ponder over bits or anything. You could, it's, it's more like an action movie, but in book form. It is an, it's, it's an adventure. You want yeah, to see it is how an it adventure. turns out. Exactly, it's a page It's like turner. a good TV series. You want, you want to click on the next episode, whereas this, you want to keep turning to the next page, the next chapter. The Dresden Files particularly the earlier ones. I've lent those out quite a bit. Again, they're page turners as well. Yeah. I think those two are probably the most, those two are probably the most, I think, that I've lent out. The first uh, Dresden Files book, Stormfront, Best Served Cold. Technically, I lent Cord to the Air to two people, which is quite a lot for me. 
<laughs> Quarter of the Year by Stephen Hunt, book that Henry hates. In fact, the, the second person never gave it back. <laughs> He's we clearly either enjoyed it that much or hated it as much as you and threw it in the bin. It's a shame, because it had that really nice floppy paperback feel. Why don't you ask them for it back? Because they moved back to Wales. Oh. <laughs> well, you can always pick up another copy, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Interesting. I'd say from me, because I have gifted a few books. What is that Make Your Bed. Yes. William McRaven. I've, gift, I've gifted that to a few people. Meditations, Marcus Aurelius, the Gregory Hayes translation. I've gifted that to a couple of people. I'd say the one I've actually gifted the most... And you've actually read this. It's the... Um, Little Black Book of Workout Motivation. No. It's okay, it's a good um, guess. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck oh, by, by Mark Manson. That is I good. think that is actually probably the book I've gifted the most. I enjoyed that. Because it wasn't some philosopher or athlete or warrior or anything like that. It was just a normal guy telling you his view of the world. And how to... Not give a fuck about it, basically. <laughs> yes, but in, in a good way. It's kind of like... In a motivational to... way. Like it, It's less, don't give a fuck about anything, and more, only give a fuck about the things that are actually important yeah, to you. That is a very apt summary. Yeah. And so, yeah, the time... Fact, I think, actually, I might even be paraphrasing the actual <laughs> sex in there. But that is... That, I think, for me, that's been good to gift out to people. I know, I think, I've given it to family members, I've given it to friends. And it's been a time... For a few of them, it's been at times where they're kind of, uh, I think I gave it to someone when they, um, or I encouraged someone to read it after they graduated and they were like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing now. I've got to get a job, got to get work, I've got to be successful, got to get a career going. I'm like, <laughs> read this. Career's overrated. <laughs> but yeah, I've read it, I've, family members have read it and it is just a good book because I think we do get very bogged down in just st- stuff in life in general and it, uh, we let things affect us that really we shouldn't we should just forget about yeah it's, it's like we let certain things have power over us like worrying about your career worrying that you're not your insecurities right or just getting offended at things that aren't that important and actually I think the biggest takeaway that I had from that book was and I'm paraphrasing again you have li- a limited amount of fucks to give in your life and you get to choose what to give a fuck about. So why would you choose to give a fuck that, I don't know, someone undercut you on the, whatever causes road rage. I don't know, I haven't driven in a long time. But that sort of thing. Why would you choose to let that bother you? Yeah. Or your boss is being a dickhead. Mm. This is a big problem I have. That sort of thing. Yeah. It's like um, going to Brian Holiday and Stoicism for a moment. Sorry to shift gear. But it's um, something he talks about in Stoicism is it's, that it can be exhausting to have an opinion on everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to you, to have a, you to have to have an opinion on everything that's going on in the world, to be so aware of everything that's going on, it can be exhausting. And it's like with this, to give a fuck about absolutely everything that's going on can be exhausting. It's like, you've got to be career-driven, you've got to be socially driven, you've got to be relationship-driven, you've got to be working out all the time. It's like, there is so much going on that, yeah, you can't give a fuck about everything. It's like, of course, there are important things. Your health, your family. Your mental health. Your mental relationships. Health, your family, close relationships. But then there are things in life that you just don't need to give Like football. I don't give a fuck about it. Um, politics. I keep a vague interest just to keep informed. 
but I don't, or I don't really give a fuck about listening to a bunch of politicians. Um, Boris Johnson's resigned. Hmm? Boris Johnson's resigned. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I want to keep you updated. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to keep in the loop. But yeah, I don't. There are things I won't go super in depth in because I. It's just exhausting. It's like it's like having the news on every day. It it is exhausting to have the news on every day, hearing about everything. And it's always so negative as well. The news. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think we need to see more positive news in the world. It's like a uh, Russell Howard's good news. I love how he ends every episode with, with something with good, with something whole positive. Yeah, it's like reminding that there is good in the world. Whereas all we see on the news nowadays, it's clickbait. At the end of the day, it's just to keep people's attention. It's, this is this is going wrong. This person said this thing, and it's landed them in trouble. This thing's wrong. The economy's fucked. The climate's fucked. It's, these are important things to scaremongering. Really, these are important things to be aware of. But I think in today's society, particularly when we've got our phones and everything, we are just constantly plugged in all the time. We're aware of it. we've got we've got war, we've got famine, we've got inflation, we've got economic crisis, we've got climate crisis, and it can just get it can just wear you down. Mm. And I think it's keeping in the loop. Being aware of stuff, but letting some of it go, and like Mark Manson's advice is choosing the th- things to give a fuck about, choose the important things, and don't let some some of the other stuff grind you down. Yeah, that, was, that felt really tangenty. <laughs> Very deep as well. Yeah, I kind of hope I got my point across about. I think we should open another whiskey <laughs> to lighten this mood a little bit. Yeah. Or, or it'll just mean that the next tangent we go on goes e- even further. Oh, we've got, I've gone on a Glen Scotia tangent. I've gone on a Mark Manson so off not giving a fuck tangent. So what is it that you're trying to not give a fuck about, Henry? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's something in there. I will find out what it is. Final thoughts on the Cask Treasure secret whiskey. It's nice. I'm enjoying it. Very eloquent good <laughs> very eloquent I really liked it because it had those layers although I, I found the more of it I drank the, those layers kind of merged together a bit more it, did you get that as well mm. they kind of like blended into this Serie Campbelltown-y kind of blend is it what it is really yeah it's a combination of the unique flavours so yeah I'm really happy with that as well whilst I finish off this glass would you like to Introduce your next one. Our next one. A few weeks ago, I was in Gibraltar. And um, amazingly, due to customs and taxes and things, all the spirits over there are much cheaper than in the mainland UK. And despite the temptation that was on offer, and Henry, but to be honest, you'd have been throwing the clothes out of your suitcase to fit more stuff with this in. <laughs> I even saw whiskies there that I haven't seen on sale in the UK for ages, like um, the Tullamore Dew Cider Cask Whiskey. So I wanted to try for a long time. But I sacrificed bringing stuff like that back uh, in favour of the local Gibraltar Distillery Company's flagship whiskey, which is Blackstrap Cove. Now this is a whiskey that is produced for the, the, the Gibraltar Distillery Company, not by the Distillery Company. Uh, it's instead produced by the Loch Lomond. Did we? Did we on, the bo- on the back of the box, it says it's from, from the Loch, uh, Loch Lomond group. So it probably means so it's a single malt Scotch 
from the label. So that means it wasn't actually produced in Gibraltar, it was produced in Scotland. But then they mature it in Spanish casks and things that they have in Gibraltar. Not necessarily. They might be probably. It has to be matured in Scotland for it to be considered a Scotch. Oh, I see. So it means those casks did come from Spain, but they were sent to Scotland, Scotland. and it was all produced there and sent and probably bottled and sent back for sale in Gibraltar. Yes, this was a bit disappointing. I won't lie. So yeah. So this is so this is a this is an independent bottling rather than it's produced in Gibraltar because otherwise it would be. That's why it's called the Gibraltar Distillery Company. Rather than just the, the Gibraltar Distillery, I'm assuming. So I imagine they, if they're a distillery company, they probably do produce some stuff at the distillery. Maybe they are working on some whiskies. I don't know, but well, that's maybe true. maybe they produce gins or something. We'll have to. Uh, oh, I didn't realise it, but this is the 1798 celebration edition. Oh, isn't there a story on the back of the box? Yes, the it's the behind bottle? you, right there. Oh, it is on the back of the bottle. I'm sorry. There you go. That'll probably give you a. So I read it. Yeah, go on then. So, Blackstrap Cove, hidden away on the Mediterranean coast of the Rock of Gibraltar, was an infamous landing point for contraband whiskey, rums, tobacco, and wines. Sailing ships seeking to trade with the UK, Northern Europe, and the New World often had to wait weeks for an easterly Levant wind required to successfully navigate the narrow strait of Gibraltar. While waiting at anchor east of the rock, the ship's predicament became known as being blackstrapped. Ah, and the sailors, while waiting for the wind to change, were notorious for offloading contraband cargo to Blackstrap Cove. Okay, so that's that's what it's named after. So it's like, sort of like while they were waiting for the chance to go through the Straits of Gibraltar, they just kind of sold what they had, basically. And so here we go. So this is why it's called the this on back of the box, and this is why it's the 1798 celebration. For over 50 years, 18th century Barbary pirates and then Spanish and French fleets had a stranglehold over the Straits of Gibraltar, effectively rendering the Mediterranean Sea closed to British trade. In 1798, this all changed when Captain Horatio Nelson ah, left Gibraltar to pass the Straits and hunt down Napoleon's fleet. Early success at the Battle of the Niles, followed by the Nelson emerging victory a few years later at the Battle of Trafalgar. So there you go. It's 1798 to... Commemorate the Battle of Trafalgar. Yep, I'm assuming I'm something assuming. along those lines. Or Is when, it? or when he left Gibraltar. Um, yes, when Nelson. So hence, it's it's celebrating when he left Gibraltar to go fight Napoleon. Um, ah. So hence, why it's the celebration. So the, yes, so this is actually a Scotch, but this will be uh, interesting to try. Okay, give me Although a second. This, this will be interesting to keep an eye on the. Uh, Distilling company to see if they do actually produce a Gibraltar whiskey in the of their own. Yeah, I think they'll be okay at it. Yeah, because I know I know there are whis- some whiskey companies out there. Mm, disappointing cork coming out the sound. <laughs> that do buy whiskies from other distilleries or casks. Now, thank you. Healthy measure. They will. Um, Only healthy measures here. They will bottle it independently or under something else whilst they're making their, their own or it's like a lot of uh, whiskey distilleries will start out making gin before they make whiskey is that easy? yeah well gin gin you don't have to age oh that's true gin is basically vodka you add botanicals and juniper and it's gin so yeah um, so it's like the there's a n- number out there there's um, the Cotswolds the Cotswolds distillery 
they mm-hmm. started out making gin. Now they're making whiskey as well. It's basically a, a way for the companies to ensure... To be them. fair, the Gibraltar Distillery Company makes a gin as well, and a rum. Yeah, it's probably how they well, started. But yeah, a number of companies will start by making gins to get some money coming in whilst they wait for their whiskey to mature. Because, of course, whiskey, three years, mm-hmm. usually. Well, at least in uh, Scotland and a few other places. I'm talking a bit of caramel. Yeah. Sort of sweet, sweet notes. Uh, this is definitely going to be sweeter than the Campbelltown one we've had. Because I, I think it's, it's going to be quite a piratey, nautical... I don't think it's going to be as nautical as the Campbelltown one, but I think it's yeah, definitely going to be... maritime. That is what I mean, don't I? Nautical. <laughs> yes, it's got a compass on it. <laughs> There's something floating in my glass. Oh, it's a compass. Is it a golden compass? Yeah, I think... That's the ship compass. Yeah, I think if... Uh, the alephiometer is not a ship compass, Henry. If you if you see if you've seen a compass in your glass, you might have had one too many. Less flavorful than the cask dresser. Getting caramel, getting oak, bit fruitiness, slight nuttiness. I think that's probably quite possibly from PX casks. Next, yeah, this is matured in PX Pedro Jimenez and American bourbon barrels. Yeah, vanilla. Yeah, I think vanilla, bit of fruitiness. Yeah, I think that's quite typical of PX and bourbon barrels. It's nice. Very easy drinking, unpeated, smooth whiskey. Yep, it I is, agree. It is nice. I, I don't think it's on the same level as the cast dressers, but it's definitely enjoyable. I think it's because you like those layered, layered. Whereas th- this is just like a typical. It's it, it's a classic smooth whiskey. Would you say something easily, easy approachable, very easy sipping? I yes, easy sipping. Well, I think obviously it's aimed at tourists going to Gibraltar. So I imagine it's um, going to be quite easy to drink anyway. Mm. What are you looking for? Oh, the strength. Both 46, though. Oh. It's nice. I, I quite have. I could, I could imagine sitting at the Straits of Gibraltar on a nice balcony overlooking the sea, sipping this. When I was in Gibraltar, it was too hot for something warming like whiskey. I had to have a cold beer. <laughs> and considering Not the... Was a cider? That's a surprise. No, it was a cider. You're quite right, actually. But considering it's about a pound cheaper than it is here in mainland UK, I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a four pound pint to remember what it used to feel like. <laughs> that is nice. Very easy. Easy going. Easy going. A nice relaxed whiskey. It's not going to win an award, but at the same time, it doesn't need to. Right. There's a question that you mentioned or you were pondering before we started the podcast. Something about whiskey. What did I say? Oh, yes. If you could, if you had to choose three whiskeys, they were the only three whiskeys. That you could have for the rest of your life, what would they be? What would they be? And why don't why don't you have uh, one of them being just one to have? Oh, no, one sort of, sort of like one every day. One every day, like one that was a uh, what did I say earlier? Like a special occasion. Special occasion kind of whiskey. And then like a expensive, expensive splash out one. And we're gonna for the argument's sake here say money is no obstacle. Like don't go out and say oh, I want a thousand pound bottle for the sake of it, but like. Don't say, oh, I'd only be able to afford this. Like, we're going with like personal preference, not affordability here. Shall I go with stuff I've tried? I think that's probably best, isn't it? Because mm. you could, you could. Oh yeah, well, obviously, if you want to say any whiskey there. Yeah, you could be like, oh, have uh, like a. Tony Walker Blue Label. I've not had it, but I'm sure it's nice. Yeah, or you could, um, yeah, you could be like, I want a, a hundred, a, a one million pound bottle or something. Right, I'll go with. I'll one. see if you actually take a sip of that. Yeah. 
well, that's the if money was no object and I could that was what I was drinking for the rest of my life. Then that wouldn't even taste good. Come on, man. Don't know. Could do. Could be amazing. I mean, they've done this last year. They did an auction of one of one bottlings of different distilleries, and the Beaumont one looks absolutely stunning. It's like a. Yeah, it looks stunning, but how do you know it tastes stunning? Because I don't. No one's ever going to try that. They're not. But if I had the chance to. Well, I guess, just to say you'd had. Yeah. Anyway, go on, what are your answers to the questions? Okay, let's go with your everyday whiskey first. Your go-to everyday whiskey. I think that would actually be the most difficult one. So okay, so we'll back. save that for last. We'll save that for last. Uh, I suppose it's easier to have lots of favourite everyday whiskeys because they're easier to yeah. get. Okay, so we'll go with your special occasion. Special occasion whiskey. All right, with the special occasion one, I'm going with a sort of like moderately priced one. I'm not going like super expensive. Mm-hmm. But one that I've really enjoyed, which you, I could get it, I could buy again, but it's still a bit more on the pricey side. I'm gonna go with I tried it when I went to Deanston last year, the 23 year old, fully Oloroso matured cask Deanston that I had. Cask, I think it was cask strength, and it's about 57%. I remember you gussing over this no, whiskey when you tried it. I yeah. think you messaged me the same day and was going on about this whiskey. Yeah. I was like, okay, I, Henry. I had a tiny, I had a tiny bit left over which I had on New Year's Eve, just gone, and it was still fantastic. And I think it's, it's limited edition as well. So it's, Are you sure this isn't the expensive whiskey? No, no, because I think this bottle was about £150 retail. So, yeah, the more super expensive one um, would be like a couple of thousand or a few thousand or something. But yeah, that one would be my special occasion one, because if I got a bottle again, I would just... I keep a hold of it as much as I would want to open it I would keep a hold of it for a while and then open it on a special occasion for my expensive one so we set a price rate for the expensive one mm, but how many a thousand pound whiskies have you tried only like three or four well, I haven't have tried any I've tried the thousand pound cognac but I haven't had the thousand pound whiskey no. I think of the ones I've tried and I only got a tiny little sample of it it was red breast 30 year old is that expensive? I think, yeah, I think it's like a few. Let me have a look. I think it, I looked it up after I tried it. I think it was like two and a half grand. Oh my God. Or something like that. But yeah, even like when I just sipped it, like the tiny little sample, I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. I mean, a couple of the other expensive ones I've had have been, they've been nice, but I think it was the 30-year-old red breast that I was like, oh, this is tasty. I mean, the other expensive whiskeys I have got to try, it was like, they were like, special occasions and like wow this is amazing that I've had the opportunity to try these but I think it was the third one it was like quite random that I got to try it but it was awesome and it was just like this is tasty so I think that would be my expensive go to that's until I try something more <laughs> better than that better, price range potentially and but then um, your everyday. everyday one the hard question oh. No, you're not allowed to say tell them more. That's too easy. Yeah, I was just contemplating that. I was kind of tell more, but then I think... Oh, but that's so good. I still need to go. It's on now for a waitress. I mean, I need to go pick it up because it's just too good to pass up yeah. there. Although it's even cheaper in Gibraltar. Then I got to try Aaron 10 recently, which I really want us to try on the, app, uh, on the podcast. And that was... That was good. The um, Tullamore Caribbean rum cask was very nice, actually. Yeah, it said like I like the Glen Scotia, but... Oh, that'd be every day Johnny Walker Black Label I do like that that is a good whiskey I have to admit no I think it might be Glenn Farkas 10 year old 
Oh, we did, didn't we have that? Oh, we had the yeah, 25. We had the, uh, 25. Oh, we did the, we did it. the we 25. The 25 and the 10 year old at the same episode. Oh. But I think that would be my go to everyday whiskey because it's just freaking delicious. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I've shared it with friends of mine who don't really drink whiskey or they, they're not super as much into whiskey as I am. Mm-hmm. And they've all, they, everyone I've given it to has said, this is nice. And they've enjoyed it as well. And I just really like it. Like, I will pick up another bottle. I think that will, I think like Total Malt, that will probably become like a mainstay on my shelf. It's the Glen Focus 10. Yeah. Glen Focus 10 is my everyday. Deanston 23 year old Oloroso cask strength as my special occasion. And as my expensive one, Rick Breast 30 year old. That's fair. What about you? Okay. You should have come up with this now because I've been mulling <laughs> it over. So you should have been. I should, I should have been thinking. I should have been thinking. Okay. So. My everyday whiskey is going to have to be Johnny Walker Black Label. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, tried and, tried and tested the world round, to be mm-hmm. honest. And, I mean, I believe when we were going to try it on the podcast, I picked it up a bit early. For oh, I'll try it a bit. Uh, I'll try it. Henry wrote no. And I drank the whole bottle by mistake. So then I got another <laughs> bottle. <laughs> You're very confused. By mistake. <laughs> by mistake. So I got another bottle. And I was like... This is too good. And I drank that bottle by mistake as well. I thought, I'll stuff a little bit. Ended up having being the whole bottle. Uh, these were not like single night occurrences. Like I, I wasn't like paralytic the down, next day. Down here. I mean, in that documentary about Tony Walker you sent me, people were telling it on screen. I mean, even I was like, oh, okay, you know what? So yeah, really drinkable, really nice. Just have a few and don't have to think, sit there and go, be overwhelmed by taste or flavour, but it's still very nice, very smooth. Although I am also actually, can I change it? Yeah. From Johnny Walker Black Label to Johnny Walker Double Black Label, because that's the PT one. That's the smokier. Yeah, smokier one. I mean, because Black Label does have some a touch of smoke to it, but yeah. Double Black is more. Black. Also, the bottle is beautiful. The bottle and the box are beautiful. Mm. So yeah, Double Black Label. Double Black. And then um, for my special occasion, special occasion whiskey, it's probably going to have to be the Hatazaki... Hatazaki Pure Malt. Just because, I, I don't know what it is about the flavour of that one, but I really like it. Mm-hmm. Now this was interesting, so when we had it, I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't as crazy about it as you were. It's got like, it, it, it's layered, and I think it's the middle, I think there's over three or four layers, it's the middle or the second to last layer, which is just like, wow. I'm just like, oh. So like every sip is like a, it's like a little journey. And it's, I really enjoyed it. Really nice. If it was cheaper, it would be my everyday whiskey. But it's quite rightly priced a little bit more. About 50 quid? Is yeah, it? yeah. And then for my expensive whiskey, I haven't had anything quite as expensive as what, as what you've had. <laughs> so I I would either go with... Probably, I don't think I've actually had any whiskeys that are more expensive than £80. You had the Glen Falkers 25. Oh, that one. What's that? What was that one? Uh, just over £200. Oh, God. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> um, I think I did say on the episode. Had I had a few whiskies by this point. Probably. There we go. Okay, right, yeah, right. That's probably my most expensive whiskey then. So I'm, I, I'm either going to say, that like a villain you mentioned that's gone up to £80. Yes. Pretty certain I've had that, and that was delicious. So I'm probably going to go with that one. 
Logan 16, wasn't it? I think, it I is. think so, yeah. It's one you got for your birthday a few years ago. That's it? quite right. Or just to compete with your £1,000 Redbreast 30, mm-hmm. that £1,000 cognac that we both had mm. a couple of months ago. Mm. I know it's not a whiskey, so if we can't count it, then we're going with the like a villain. <laughs> Otherwise, because that, that was like, I've not had anything like that before. Admittedly, I'd had, we, we'd had so much cognac that evening that we were just like, oh, everything's great. Yeah. They yeah. were just piling us, plying us with all this cognac. But that, that one, it did stand above it the rest. Did. You could tell it was something different. It was something quite amazing. Yeah, that's a fair lineup. Johnny Walker, Hasazaki, and Lagavulin. That's fair. Have to see about getting you like something like a. You probably enjoy the Lagavulin Distillers Edition. I think it's like hundred quid. Mm. But I've heard it's. I've heard good things. And um, we'll probably love it then. Yeah, maybe you have to look at um just buying some sample bottles. Yeah. Give, give you a chance to try some different stuff without forking out for a full bottle. And that way, it's, it's something I've started doing recently. I've been either buying miniatures or sample bottles. Miniatures find... and sample. I found a shop in Gibraltar. Miniatures and sample bottles. They're only of like you know high speed brands like Johnny Walker or whatever, or more often like Famous Grouse or something like that. Mm. They were one euro each in Gibraltar. That's good. You, you just can't really say no. I, you know, if I had had time, I'd go in and grab a handful. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's something to look at because it gives you a chance to. Even it gives you a chance to try like more expensive. I think like recently I tried the. I bought the. Hatazaki, uh, not Hatazaki. Uh, Yamazaki. Ha- the Hakushu, which is from Suntory, like Yamazaki. Distillers Reserve, which is about 75 quid. But I got a sample for about £5. Oh, that's okay. That's and it was good. like, it was worth, it was like, it, it actually blew me away because it was completely different from what I was expecting. It was really nice. Um, definitely like to get a bottle at some point. But again, I've gone to. I should do that. Next time I'm walking past a whiskey shop or a whiskey exchange shop. I should pop in there and ask them what sample bottles they've got and see what I can get. Yeah, just go buy some miniatures. I think it's like, I think I bought you like a Kill Homan. I bought you a yes, Kill Homan. Yes, that miniature. was really nice. And yeah, there's, it's, it's a good way I found of trying different whiskeys where I'm not sure if I want to get the bottle, but then I get the I get the miniatures or the samples and it's a chance to try and then find, okay, really like this, really like this, I'll definitely buy a bottle. This was nice, this was nice. If I was offered it, I'd happily accept it. But I might hold off on getting a bottle. So that's a good way to go about it, I think. Definitely yeah, pro- not spending quite as much. Because you could probably buy a bunch of samples for 40 quid, which is about the average price of a decent single malt. And it gives you a chance to try a variety of whiskies rather than... Rather than just one. You're quite right. It's a really good really good idea. Yeah. Like Paul Wallet. <laughs> I can feel it trembling in the other room. <laughs> It knows what's coming. All the whiskey. <laughs> I don't know about you. Do you have anything else to talk about? Do we I want, want to try this next whiskey, Henry. Oh, yes. I had forgotten. Okay, so I've given you a sample there. Oh. I think you're going to enjoy this. So this is all for you. All for you? You don't, you don't want any? I've I've got the... This is from a bottle I've got at home. So oh, okay. Open it up, pour away, and I will tell you what it is. That's exciting. Help yourself to some more whiskey, by the way. What is this, Henry? We'll have to try it first. Smell it. It's quite strong. Florally? What is it? I'm surprised you're not picking up on one of your favourite things. Smoky. (laughs) (laughs) It's this 
is a sample of a bottle of Glen Scotia's Maltz Fest, Camptown Maltz Festival. Oh, you're talking about this. So this is their 22, 22 bottling that I got a bottle of because I've got their 2021 bottle and I've got their 2022 bottle um, as starting a little collection. But um, I bought another bottle to open up and try. Mm-hmm. So I've had this. I have tried this myself, so I brought you a long sample to try as well. Thank you this very much. This is a eight-year-old Glen Scotia repeated, and it's uh, finished in PX casks. Oh. So, yes. So let's try it. I thought as a smoky whiskey, you might enjoy. Mmm. <laughs> That's better. Yeah. Now, this, this At is... At first, when it first... Uh, the first initial taste of it I was like this is much smoother than I expected and then as I swallowed it sort of like exploded and peaked I was like yes that was quite layered actually I really like that that's really good now for me nose and that is for me it's smoky treacle yes I think the treacle is what threw me actually I think that being kind of merged together and I was just my uneducated palate was just sort of like ah floral yes your face when I said that Sure about that. Mm, yeah, for, for me, the uh, it's um, smoky treacle. And it's really delicious. I think it's that a, is a really nice really, one. Really nice eight-year-old peated PX finish, Glen Scotia. Again, it's like yeah, I'm just really enjoying what Glen Scotia are doing at the moment. So I thought I would bring along a, a song of it because I think it was their their yeah, they had their Camtown Festival. I think it was May, so a couple of months ago now. Mm-hmm. So I've had this bowl. Of, tentatively pouring in the occasional glass when I felt like something smoky but I thought I would as we were doing I thought as we were doing the Campbelltown blend and the PX cask Blackstrap Cove yeah I thought this would be a nice little accompaniment for you to try alongside those it's very nice yes yeah and I thought nice to bring on a peated whiskey for you I don't know you're a big I have a big uh, peat head as you called it yeah, or smoke, smoke head. Smoke head. Anything else want to discuss, Henry? Do we want to touch on Obi-Wan? We can touch on Obi-Wan. I'm quite happy to All touch right. on Obi-Wan. Spoiler free first. Spoiler free. Do you want to go first? I liked it. I enjoyed it. They definitely were aware of the sequel memes. And anyone else who's a big fan of those like I am... Well, not sequel memes, the prequel, Pre- memes. prequel memes. Oh, God, I'm embarrassed. Anyway, um, anyone else who's a fan of those... We'll be able to pick out certain moments and really enjoy it. I have my gripes with it, but I think I'll save that for the spoiler discussion. In terms of my overall opinion, I'm much more enjoying the Star Wars the, the Star Wars TV shows that Disney have made over the movies. Apart from Rogue One. Apart from Rogue One, oh, 100%. And I think Solo is underrated as well. Solo is underrated. I did enjoy Force Awakens. I know it was kind of... No, I, I didn't. I, I think I enjoyed it. Uh, actually, I enjoyed it at the time. And as to, as it progressed, and I watched it again a few times, I was like, "Actually, this is this is shit." Well, it's better than the other two. There are literal puddles of goo somewhere where puddles of goo form that are better Star Wars movies than those other two. Yeah, Force. I think Force Awakens was kind of it, hopeful. It was it was very. Similar to New Hope in a way, but it also it was, ridiculous. It was basically the whole yeah, plot yeah, yeah. redone. Literally, up, it set up a lot, I think, because it set up which wasn't delivered. Yes, which wasn't, wasn't followed up on. No, which was the problem. But I think For- Force Awakens at least set up the potential for greatness 
You were this close. <laughs> you were this close to greatness. Yeah. But yeah, I think I agree. Solo is completely underrated and Rogue One is just... Rogue One is great. Okay. I love Still Rogue One. underrated as well, I think. Um, I guess instead of making the sequel trilogy, they just made more spin-offs like Solo and Rogue One. Yeah. I think they've just done a better well, job. Obi-Wan was meant to be a movie originally rather than a series. To be fair, although, we'll get to that later. Well, they're saying that not all the shows are great. Mandalorian is. Boba Fett, not so much. Boba Fett, I was a bit disappointed. Book yeah. of Boba Fett, I was a bit disappointed. And I will, I will happily say that for free. But we, 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 just, we discussed We've that. we discussed that. Before. But yeah, I agree. I enjoyed... Obi-Wan for the most part. I do have my gripes with it. There were some unnecessary bits in it. There were some really great bits in it. Mm-hmm. I was talking about. And there were some just plain stupid bits in it. Indeed. There was, however, some fantastic acting in it as well. Was well, Hugh McGregor, you could say that. Hugh McGregor. And um, a couple of other characters were really good as well. The little girl was really good, actually. Yes. Yeah, she, she was. And there were a couple of other interesting characters in there as well. Um, and a couple of other very bland or annoying characters. <laughs> um, so we move on to the spoiler discussion before I make another mistake? Uh, or is there anything else we're going to say? No, just... I think I enjoyed it overall. It's worth a watch if you're a Star Wars fan, particularly if you like Ewan McGregor. It's, it's not perfect. I think... Actually, no, I'll discuss this, my that opinion in spoilers. Okay, going on to spoilers. My spoiler opinion based on the facts of what actually takes place which is not a lot i feel like it could have been one episode like the last episode was what we were all there to see it could have been massively condensed down massively condensed down and if you actually if i know i was some kind of god and i erased this show from existence i think there was actually a fan who condensed it down to like an hour and a half movie basically yeah, and I actually think I would have, I would have preferred that for one, to be honest. But if you actually, if I was a god and I erased this whole show from existence and everybody's memory, yeah, mm-hmm. would it affect the overall storyline of Star Wars canon? Not really. So what's the point? Because we get to see you and McGregor again. Yeah, but and Hayden Christensen. True. Um, so there were some really cool scenes that were just there for cool factor. Like um, the flashbacks to um, Order 66. And uh, when Obi-Wan was training Anakin. Yeah, exactly. They were really cool. I, I will happily say that. But you're right. The whole thing could have been condensed. Like, if you just made like, a, a, an hour-long epic lightsaber duel between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan, I'd have been happy. Hmm. Um, I think in the earlier episodes, Obi-Wan exhibited behaviour that I would never associate with Obi-Wan. But I think that was actually some fantastic acting. Oh, sure. Well, what, what, what I mean is, there's one episode where he witnesses Darth Vader killing innocent people to try and draw him out. And then when he eventually does come out, he runs away. Hmm. This annoyed me. In my opinion, this is not something Obi-Wan would ever have done. But you have to remember, he's been in hiding... He's been... Neglecting his training, training. etc. And again, that's something everyone, in my opinion, would never have done. And at this point, he does, don't think he quite realises that Darth Vader is Anakin. This is literally a Sith Lord who is hunting him. Again, he's picked up... He's taken over... Uh, does, does he or does he not eat Sith Lords for breakfast? Are they not his specialty? 
I, Sith I, Lords I, are our specialty. It's a quote from I thought you meant he was saying he ate them for breakfast. And I was like, I do not remember For that. a second there, I got the quote wrong. I got a bit. But uh, in episode three, he, go, um, he says to Chancellor Palpatine, Sith Lords are our specialty. Or, I think. Is that the quote? I can't remember. I don't know. I don't Pretty know. certain. But anyway, he then proceeds to get knocked unconscious straight away, I admit. But the point is, at what point in the prequels has Obi-Wan run away? Remember at the time, he was surrounded by his brothers and sisters in the force. He was, <laughs> there were, and he had a clone army at his back. Whereas this is him by himself facing off against a Sith Lord and his army, and he's by himself. No wonder he is freaking terrified when he knows that his friends have been executed by... What happens? What about in episode three where he, completely alone, jumps into that hangar full of droids to face off against General Grievous? Jumps down and goes, hello there. And he says, and suddenly everyone turns around. And the only thing that saves his life is Grievous says, no, don't fire, I'll take him myself or something. Mm. The, uh, if, if Grievous said, just kidding, shoot him, everyone's dead. Because he knows that's General Grievous. He knows that's his psychology, that he... He wants to be the one to kill the Jedi. That's still a massive risk. Yeah. What risk does he take in this So, Going to fight Darth Vader by himself. At the very end of the series. Yeah. <laughs> See my point? <laughs> yep. Basically, I thought the early episodes, his character, he obviously it had changed. He'd gone through some kind of growth and he'd changed. And it, I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like the direction they went with the character in the first few episodes. Really? I actually really enjoyed that. No, I didn't like it. I, I like that because I think it, I think Ewan McGregor's acting. Oh, that was him superb. being in despair that he was alone. He, for all he knows, one of the last Jedi. But he, needs but to... he wasn't alone. That other Jedi turns up and he sends him away. I was like, but that's just yeah, because you could keep him, but he's not alone. No, because that's dangerous. They li- they were literally hunting that guy. Oh, he everyone could take them if he'd kept up his training. Parts I think were really good was Ewan McGregor's acting that little girl's acting the little girl who plays Leia was fantastic she was she was literally just like Leia yeah she 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 was superb um although she said they said she was 10 years old and I was like she's got she's, no 10 year old I've ever met she, spoken like that yeah she's definitely like younger than 10 or she, I thought she looked younger than 10 she looked younger than 10 I agree but no 10 year old I've ever met has spoken like that but no, she she was fantastic. She played her part really well. The part, the bits we got of Hayden Christensen, I think, were really good. Yes, I was expecting to see more of him, but we didn't see as much. Yeah, it was mostly in the helmet, wasn't he? Yeah, the bits. One of the bit, great bit, with Darth Vader is they made him menacing in this. They did. Remember, remember that, remember that of, scene where um, he's walking where, through the town. That's quite good. But the, the, the bit that did it for me was when Reva, is that her name, goes to strike him and he kind of catches the lightsaber with the force. It's kind of turns like some sort of robot, like this very much gliding motion that like, turns around like some kind of wraith. And that was amazing. That was yeah. like, whoa. And it's also the bit where he sets the fire and he's like dragging Obi Wan through it. Yeah. And he, he, Doesn't he catch a spaceship at some point and pull it back to the ground and rip open the hull? Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, that's the thing. What I think they did amazingly in this... Was Vader. Was make Vader menacing. Yeah. Make you realise... He was practically just, unstoppable in the, uh, for most of the show. Yeah, it's kind of like, the, at the, again, going back to Rogue One, at the end of Rogue One, where he, that hallway scene where he's... Literally, that was amazing. I loved that scene. That is what they did really well with Vader. 
What they didn't do well with the Inquisitors was make them menacing. They were a fucking joke. They were a joke, actually. They were bland, uninteresting, did not add anything, and were completely unnecessary. They, uh, one re- thing that really annoyed me about the Inquisitors, and I'll see if you agree. Right at the beginning, when they first appear, the Grand Inquisitor walks into that bar and is talking to the bartender about hunting Jedi. And he talks about how it's easy to hunt Jedi because they can't help but help people. It sort of says it as if helping people is somehow something an alien concept to him. And that really annoys me because it's just like classic Disney villain. Like, I'm the bad guy. Helping people? Pfft, that's for the good guys, which I can't do. And it's like, that just... It was so Disney. Do you get what, do you get what I mean by that? Mm. I'm just like, childish writing, almost. Yeah, and they and they get the Jedi to show him to show himself by I don't know I can't remember what they do but they go to hurt he somebody throws some the person. knife and if, he uses the force to catch it. Yeah, and I'm just like Disney. It was just like Disney. Yeah. It's like a Disney gasm, literally. And I was just like, oh come on. And then they have this Jedi cornered, and all they do is like stand around him menacingly, and oh no, he's run away. Who'd have thought that was going to happen? Yeah. It'll take him like what two days to catch him after that. Like come on, he could have been off the planet by then. But You're right. They were pretty useless. But then it's um, is the it's those two other inquisitors who aren't in it as much. But then they just got one with the hat, the Asian the one guy with, with the hat. Yeah, with a really wide brimmed hat and everything. And then they're just like, but Lord Vader said this. The Grand Inquisitor said this. It's like I, I saw the meme. It's like Lord Vader says it's my turn on the Xbox. <laughs> 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 and it's just like they, all they did was whinge and complain. They didn't do anything interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it was the same, and there was the same with Reva. I know, unfortunately, the actor has got some stick, which is what the um, the woman who used to be a youngling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What what stick the acting? I haven't heard about this. Uh, some racist. Oh, okay. Assholes. That's wrong. That's yeah. wrong. Um, which is completely wrong. But I just, unfortunately, I don't. Her character was not interesting. I honestly thought that this is my honest opinion in episode one that by episode two or three she'd have had a fight with everyone and be dead by that point I honestly thought she was just going to be like a stepping stone obstacle to get to Vader no. that's what I honestly didn't expect her to be that big a character but, but what really annoyed me about her she was ruthless she was a villain at one point she was straight up quite happy to torture a ten year old girl yeah. and yet at the end Despite attempting to murder a 10-year-old boy, oh, and the aforementioned attempted torture of a 10-year-old girl, she eventually just decides, uh, I'm just not going to do it. And everyone's like, oh, you're redeemed, you're okay. I'm like, no, Disney, no. She's literally hurt children. That's not okay. But it's, for me, it's like the way they kind of, she was going to be a big bad, and they had the Grand Inquisitor, who in Rebels, if you've seen the, the animated spin-off, is actually quite a good character. He in that. is quite a good character in that. But in this, again, he was just bland and boring and barely in it. I thought the actor who played him did a good job, but he was barely, he was in, barely it. in it. I reckon if he'd been in it more, he'd have been less bland. Let's, let's think. But again, he was just a classic Disney villain. I think, I think they set season. up too many potential bads. If it had just been Vader and they had made him menacing the whole way through, it would have been perfect. perfect. They, or have that's, these that's little guys as like needed. episodic villains. Like one episode, you got Reaver. 
Well, like two episodes, and you can defeat her. And then you move on to the Grand Inquisitor, and he lasts one or two episodes. And then Vader's like, oh no, they've taken out some Norman Inquisitors and the Grand Inquisitor, I'll get involved. Oh shit, it's Obi-Wan, let's have a massive battle. That's how I thought it was going to go. And that would have been good. I, I think they should have... I don't think they should have had the Inquisitor. I think it should have just been Vader as the... I think it was the, to tie it in with uh, Fallen Order and Rebels. Yeah. Unfortunately, I just don't think... That worked as much. No, the the Inquisitors were probably one of the lowest points of the series. They weren't interesting. They were quite bland. And then the fucking plot armour. <laughs> On apparently, who? Apparently, the, the, or the Inquisitors. Apparently you can just stab people with lightsabers. And, hey, they survived because <laughs> they were too angry to die. And yes, just, yes. God, that was so fucking stupid. <laughs> It's like, ah, oh, she, she stabbed the Grand Inquisitor. He's fine, though. He's fine. She got stabbed as a youngling. She's fine. Oh, she got stabbed again. By she's fucking Vader. Fine. Oh, no, was it Vader who stabbed her? Yeah. Yeah. And she's fine now. Whereas a random stormtrooper can miss a shot and ricochets and kills him instantly. That also annoyed me. That scene when um, the, the stormtroopers are attacking that little rebel base. Yeah. And they're just, and they're just charging in blindly. And they're dying in droves. And it's like, well, obviously. Like, just throw in your grenades or whatever. Like, this is not how you attack a fortified position. Freaking Star Wars and Stormtroopers aren't. Yeah, I know, I know. But just like, if even I could be a bit, do a better but job yeah. at leading these people. But you know, that's saying something. The level of plot armor they gave to characters, it was beyond ridiculous. I can, can understand maybe one person surviving being stabbed. Someone surviving it twice and someone else surviving it, all in the space of six hours of... less than six hours of television. It's beyond, <laughs> it is... I, I think it's lazy writing. Yeah. It was lazy writing. Sort of like, we've decided this character has died from their lightsaber wound. This character has not decided, died from their lightsaber wound, despite it being the same wound. Yeah. It, I, there was... Yeah, there were certain aspects of it I found to be a bit lazy and bland, unfortunately. And that kind of went from making it a really good series to an okay series. Mm. Yeah, and certain, like I said, certain bland and uninteresting characters really brought it down. They had some great acting, some good scenes, which helped elevate it. I think Vader was really good because he was menacing. Ewan McGregor's acting was amazing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it could have been great. And it kind of just ended up being okay slash Liam Neeson's cameo at the end, I really enjoyed. Yes, that was good. Have it took you long enough. Have you seen the memes where it's him when he was on Phantom Menace with the umbrella and stuff? Okay, I'll try and find them. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was like a background stuff when they were on Phantom Menace and he had like this... Turban. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that, actually. What, what like behind the scenes photo. Yeah, he's got the umbrella <laughs> and the... the um, like the towel on his head and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It Obi-Wan was good overall. I did enjoy it for the most part. There were some stupid stuff in it, but there was some good stuff. So overall mixed. Okay, so here's my take on Star Wars, Marvel and Disney at the moment. I honestly think they need to be making less stuff and making it good. So I think at the moment we're getting a lot of stuff and a lot of it's okay. I think they need to make less and take more risks. 
Because you can't just say make it good. I because think, I believe they are trying to make it good. I think they just, we just have different yeah, opinions. I think, I think they need to take more time and work on some good writing and mm. good quality production. Yeah, Rather that's than fair. constantly churning out stuff for the subscription market. I, yeah, because I think at the moment they're they're making reasonable shows, but they're nothing groundbreaking, nothing, nothing breathtaking. breathtaking. I mean, I enjoy. I think Mandalorian is probably one of the best so far. Yeah, Boba Fett was not great. Moon Moon Knight, I did enjoy. Not groundbreaking. Obi Wan uh, Moon Knight was only okay. Yeah, but now. Uh, Falcon Loki Winter. was good. Loki was good. Falcon Wind Soldier I quite enjoyed. Mm. Half of WandaVision was pretty good. Yeah. But I think there's, they're churning out so much that I would prefer that they took their time and produced something great. Like an example is The Boys, season three. It's come out. It's fantastic. I still need to see that. Have you watched any of it? Season three? Yeah. That's the latest one, isn't yeah. it? No. Oh, you haven't seen any of it? No. Okay, it's fantastic. But that's the thing, they take their time with it and they make it good quality rather than here's a new show, here's a new show, here's a new show. It's okay, it's all right, yeah, it's fine, not so good. Disney's very much trying to get as much content as possible. Yeah, and I think they need to slow down and take their time and improve. Agreed. I think that's true. That is my... I think, I I knew, I don't want to say I told you so, I, I can't even say that. But as soon as I heard after Disney took over that they had made all of the extended universe, what is called Legends now, not canon, I was like, no, there's so much there that you could use. So much there that you could adapt. This thing, I think they're now cherry-picking what they do and don't want to use. I know that, and that's why they did that. But at the same time, it's like, come on, you, there's all this stuff you could have adapted. It would, it would have made your job so much easier. Yeah. Anyway... I think we should start to wrap up. Anyway, Tom, what did you make? Uh, I, I'm really enjoying the cast treasures. I did enjoy the Gibraltar one as well, but I think the cast treasures is something quite nice. I agree that with that. What about you? What did you make, including the little sample I brought along as well? Oh, I really like this little sample. It might just be because it's smoky. Good. You might still be able to get a bottle. Probably can. I know they're limited edition, but you can have a look into that. Oh, that is a nice one, though. Very smoky. It's yeah, it's nice and smoky, but it's, for me, it's like. Yeah, it is like smoky treacle, and I think that's why I like it. It is nice. Yeah. Anyway. Thank you for bringing me, sir. That's all right. Well, thank you very much for bringing these two whiskeys. Thank you for coming. Cheers. <laughs>